conversation uh, starting today called fight, uh, where the word fight is often viewed as a negative thing. Uh, we talk about, you know, fist fighting or, you know, f- fighting is very rarely ever a positive. Uh, and yet what we realize is uh, we're all in a fight. And it doesn't always mean it's a negative thing. Fighting uh, is, is, is essential in our lives, uh, fight for life or fight for finances or fight for relationships and on and on. There's a, there's a fight that we're all in. All of us are in a fight for something. Uh, and yet what I realize is that uh, we live in a world that is constantly pushing in. And so many have said that this is going to be a very difficult year uh, with an election and, and everything seems to keep kind of snowballing and uh, we realize that, that regardless if it's a difficult year or not, we all have hardships. All of us do. We all have things that uh, are, are difficult for us. And, and yet what the word says is when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard. And we've been on 21 days of prayer, and, and it was said the very first day we, we prayed that the enemy would push in harder, and we've seen that to be the case. The enemy is not going to want us to pray through things and push through things, and, uh, and what we need is for God to raise up that barrier, that standard. Uh, and the way that we push back against the enemy, and the way that we take ground that the enemy tries to take from us, or we've given over to him, is by fighting. Fighting the enemy is an essential part of our faith in Christ because if we don't fight the enemy, then we're overtaken by the enemy. And the way that we fight, you and I, as followers of Christ, is through prayer. That is our uh, primary method and, and weapon of fighting. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, But you, man of God, run from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life that you were called to have and have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses, that you and I, we've got to fight the good fight. And so there's good fighting and there's bad fighting, and a lot of us are, are out fighting all the bad fights and we're ignoring the good fights. And this morning we're talking about what it looks like for us to fight with purpose. Because uh, we're all fighting, but are we fighting with purpose? And I believe that every one of us, we're fighting something, and, and you might be fighting to stay in bed all day, or you might be fighting uh, to, to pay rent, or fighting to stay healthy, or whatever that looks like, but we're fighting something. We're never not battling against something. And what I want us to do is to fight for purpose, to, to not aimlessly be punching the air. I was uh, at the gym this weekend, and I saw somebody punching a punching bag, and, and I don't know what they were doing. They didn't look like they knew what they were doing either. And I think a lot of us, I'm not judging, I'm just saying they didn't, and, and a lot of us, our fights are like that. We're just like, well, I know I should be doing this, but I don't know what I'm doing, and so we're just aimlessly uh, fighting, and, 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 and what defines good and bad fights is purpose. Purpose is defined as a sense that you are contributing to others, that your work has broader meaning, that what we're doing uh, makes a difference in others' lives, and when we fight for others, we fight for purpose and intentionality, and when we pray for others, we pray out of purpose, and, and as we've been praying, we don't stop praying, so we had 21 days of focused and intentional prayer, but we're going to keep putting prayer at the forefront of all of our minds. Uh, our 9 a.m., we'll pray uh, every Sunday, uh, or every Monday, rather, at 9 a.m., so if you've been joining us on Zoom, uh, we will continue to do that every Monday, not every day. Uh, if you haven't joined us, uh, you're still welcome to every Monday, because we don't want to quit praying. We want to pray with purpose. However, what a lot of us do is we settle for passion. I love passionate people. I uh, am a passionate person. Passion uh, is, is uh, fueling. It, uh, it, it moves us, but it's an emotion. 
And so as long as we're feeling passion, we're feeling the movement and the momentum and the excitement. The moment we don't feel passionate, we stop. And so you might be passionate about running or you might be passionate about dieting, but the moment you're not, you're not doing those things. And, and so what I love about passion is, is an initial energy. But what I hate about passion is it's not long-lasting. And because a lot of us pray out of passion for what we see in the immediate moment, we don't pray long-term. It's very short-lived, and so passion is the feeling of excitement that you have about your work and your life. And so a lot of us are passionate about things that we see, meaning our prayer life is centered on what we're focused on. We often pray for what we think we need to pray for, and so we end up lacking this longevity in prayer and this uh, spectrum of prayer that is all-encompassing. And what I want us to do, though, is I want us to begin to realize that if you bring your passion and your energy, it will transfer into purpose. Passion can uh, transfer into purpose if we allow it to. And what's beautiful is that that passion can transfer into purpose, and purpose ends up being contagious. When you define purpose and you move towards purpose, you end up bringing others in. And our 21 days of prayer was an experiment as much as it was uh, uh, something I believe God asked me to do. Uh, So 9 a.m. every single day, Monday through Friday, for 21 days, I joined together on Zoom with a group of people. And one of the things that I didn't expect to find but was very interesting to me was the things that would come up in these Zoom meetings that I didn't know about and frankly didn't care about. They would come up in someone else's prayer and all of a sudden I knew about them and then I cared about them and I found that when I cared about them, I started praying about them. Their passion turned to purpose. Their purpose became contagious. So all of a sudden, it wasn't one person praying for one need, but it was a group of people praying for this need. And daily, we would bring this up. And over time, I started realizing that I cared about people and things that I didn't even know about. But we started praying together, and it fueled our passion. And what I want us to do as a church is to continue to move forward in pushing the enemy back because the enemy seems to be taking ground. The enemy seems to be sneaking in here and there and, 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 and working his way. And you and I, we have to pray that much harder. We have to be that much more fervent. And we have to allow our passion for one another and for prayer and for needs to turn into purpose that brings us together and allow passion to spark that. And, and as we fight through prayer, what we do is we begin to realize that we depend on one another to fight alongside us. As any fight goes, you're stronger in groups. We're stronger in numbers. So as we go and we attack the enemy, we're stronger together. And and if your purpose is to have a great life, then that's what you're going to fight for. If your purpose is for individuality, your purpose is for wealth, your purpose is uh, for happiness, those are the things you're going to pursue and you're going to guard and you're going to protect. It's when we begin to realize that we're fighting for others, that we start to open up the scope of our lives, that your life is to be meant for others. Bigger than you. Our prayer life is to, meet for, uh, to be bigger than us. Our, our, our fight against the enemy is more than just your problems and, and your circumstances. In Ephesians 5, it says, Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And I think the difference between simply just praying and actually praying the Lord's will is us discovering God's will and praying God's will into the lives of others. And that's when we begin to fight with purpose. That's when we begin to be unified. And in Genesis 6, we find a very familiar story. It's the story of Noah. And uh, Noah's been called to uh, build an ark. And, and almost anyone who's ever spent any time in church, you know, uh, 
that God establishes a covenant with Noah. And God says, I want you to build the ark. I'm going to flood the earth, but I need you to build this ark, and I want you to gather animals, and I'm going to spare your family, and I'll spare your life. And in Genesis 6, 14, God actually gives him very specific instructions. Verse 14, it says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. You are to make a roof. Finish the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark and make it lower, middle, upper decks. Now when we read this in modern context, we go... There's probably some better plans on Google somewhere. You know, there's a YouTube video of someone who's made, you know, 5,000 arcs, and they're going to teach you how to do it, so just follow that. Uh, we read this, and we think, well, this is no big deal. We go to Lowe's, we buy the wood, we get the nails, we get the hammer, we get a measuring tape. But when we start to realize that Noah is being invited to do something he's likely never seen before in his entire life. He's having to cut trees down and mill the wood and finish the boards and f- manufacture some way to keep it together. Uh, he didn't just have a tape measure. He's having to figure out how to measure when God is saying 450 feet long. I'm guessing he's pacing his feet out. When he's saying 18 inches, he's going, okay, well, there's an inch in this. Maybe what's an inch? And so there's this idea that we know what he's doing. Noah doesn't know what he's doing. Not only that, but he's saying there's a flood coming. There's not really anything he has to base his, uh, this, this idea of a flood on. They haven't seen rain. They're in the desert. They're not near water. He's being invited to do something he can't understand, build something he's not even sure of, and yet it's just simple faith that he goes, well, I guess I'll just start here. I mean, where do you even begin? And, and I think it's interesting as well that this book that has stood the time, stood the test of time, it's thousands of years old, it's uh, breathed by God, it's passed down for generations and translated into every known language, known to man. And it's including these very weird and odd specific instructions on how to build a boat. And we know the scriptures are for us today, but we don't really need this anymore. But what I do think we need is we need this reality that God is in the details. That God is very specific. And he's inviting Noah into specificity. Uh, Noah could have easily gone, well, you know what, I'll just build something to avoid the rain. I mean, maybe I'll build a house on stilts, and when the flood comes, I'll be fine. And God's going, no, I want you to build a boat. And he's like, well, I think I'd rather have a house. And, and, and God, he could have built anything. But God was very specific. I think there are things in our lives that God is very specific about. He's inviting us to pray very specifically for others and, and for our own families and, and, and friends and things around, people around us. And a lot of us get vague prayers because we're afraid that, you know, why be specific with God? He already knows everything. And yet God is inviting us into the details, into the nuances of what he's doing. And I believe that what we've been called to do is the same as Noah. We've been called to build towards an outcome. A lot of our prayers aren't necessarily building us towards an outcome we see a need, we just want that need to be done. We see suffering, we want it to be alleviated. We see uh, sickness, we want them to be healed. We see a need, we just want it to be met. And a lot of us aren't actually building towards the godly outcome that he desires for us. That there are things that you want for your life. Joy, peace, happiness, money. There are things that you want for your life. There are things that God desires for us. Some of them are the same things. God desires for us to have peace and joy and happiness and whatever. 
And then there are things that you want for your life that deviate from what God desires for you to have in your life. But we know there are moments where what we want aligns with what God wants, and there are moments when it moves away, and what we have to do is not be foolish, as the scriptures say, and we have to actually find God's will for our lives and others' lives and work towards that. For us, we have to build towards the outcome that God desires. A lot of us are just swinging a hammer, building whatever we want to build. We do that in a lot of ways, in prayer and relationship building and all of this. We're just swinging a hammer. We're working hard, but we don't really know exactly what we're working towards. We're faithful, but we don't really know what we're faithful in doing, in relationships and marriages and friendships. We have to create the desired outcome. What does God want in our lives and in the lives of the people around us? What is the outcome that God desires? What is his will? And when we start building the life that we imagine, we gotta start with asking God, what do you want? When we start praying for others, we have to ask God, what do you want us to pray about? That it's less about having a strong marriage and more about defining what a strong marriage looks like. It's less about having more money and more about defining what being wise in our finances looks like. It's more than having strong friendships. What does a strong friendship look like? Do you want to see someone far from Christ come to the knowledge of who Jesus is? How is that going to change their life and the lives of others? Do you want happiness in your family? What does that look like? And when we start getting specific, and we start writing things down, and we start keeping journals and notes and saying, God, what is it that you want? Then we find that we're starting building towards an outcome that God desires. That for Noah, he could have built anything to survive the flood. But God said, I want you to build this. You and I could be praying for any outcome, but God's saying, let's pray for his outcome. How would we measure our win? How would we measure at the end of our year, did God move? Did God work? Did God do something grand? If we're not clear, we're not uh, articulating and writing these things down, how do we know what we're building towards? And for many of us, we're fighting, but we don't know what we're fighting towards or what we're fighting for. We're just fighting to alleviate suffering, or we're just fighting to not be broke, or we're just fighting to not be in conflict with others, and we have to know that we're in a fight. We've got to know what we're fighting for and swinging for, what we're building towards, and I believe in the power of writing, putting things to pen and paper, and so the first thing I think we need to do is we need to state our outcome in positive terms. If you're going to go to pray for a situation, let's state the outcome in positive terms, I want my nephew to come to the knowledge of Jesus. Well, what's that look like? Well, let's write it down. Let's be clear. I want this to happen or that to happen. Let's write it down. Be specific. God is in the details. And then verify that your outcome is actually God's desired outcome. A lot of times we pray for things, and, and they're not the way that God wants to handle things. Uh, I, we pray for healing all the time, and we believe that God heals. But many times God's ultimate healing takes over. People pass away. We pray for very specific things that, that God is actually saying, well, maybe you should do better in. We pray for finances. I want more money. And God's saying, well, maybe you should spend less. There are things that we end up having to work with God on and not fighting him on. And sometimes you have to change the voice that you hear. I've noticed in my life that the voice that I think I'm hearing is God, but it's actually my own opinion. And so that ends up informing my prayer life. My opinion, this is what I want. And my own thoughts and my own personal opinions are often louder than God's wisdom. And it's dangerous because all of a sudden now I'm fighting for my own way or my own agenda or my own uh, uh, pride. 
And now I'm a dangerous person because I'm not fighting with God or for godly things, but I'm fighting him and, and I want to fix things. And, and sometimes God says, you can't fix things. You've got to listen and be compassionate and be slow. And, and I'm not good at that, but I'm learning. And, and there are times when I have to stop and I have to ask, is this me or is this God? Is this my will or is this God's will? Am I building towards my desired outcome or am I building towards God's desired outcome? Am I building an ark or am I just building something random that I feel like I'm working really hard on and it's not helpful because awareness is a really powerful tool for us. As we're uh, looking to see God do something remarkable, we've got to be aware of what he's already doing and many of us think that the map of the world is the way that we see it. But we forget that the map is not the territory. It's only the way that we see the territory. And the further we get away from God, the more we start fighting for personal reasons and not godly things. And so we have to be careful. It's not about aimless fighting uh, or punching a bag, but it's about intentionally moving towards the outcome. That's the second thing I think we have to do. We have to move towards the outcome. When we know what God's will is, we know what he wants, then we have to move towards it. We have to work towards it. Genesis 6, 17 says, understand, I'm bringing a flood. Floodwaters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven and the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will die. That's heavy. Imagine you're knowing you get this word that everything that you've known and loved and seen and spent your life looking at and being a part of is going to die. That's a heavy uh, message to be given. In verse 19, it says, um, or 18, it says, but I will establish my covenant with you. You'll enter the ark with your sons, your wives, your sons' wives. You're also to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything from the birds according to their kind, from the livestock according to their kind, from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kind will come to you so that you can keep them alive, take them uh, with every kind of food that is eaten, gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him to do. That's a lot of work. I don't know about you, but I'm listening and looking at this list and I go, man, I'm trying to figure out how to get a bunch of boards to stick together. Now I gotta go collect two of every kind of animal, every kind, and then I gotta go get food for them all. And, and then I gotta get them all in. How do you lure them in? And there's just all this work involved and I always wonder why God would go to the trouble of having Noah collect all of these animals after having built an entire boat on his own? Why is he having to go get all the food and all the animals? God spoke these things into existence. Why not wipe them out and just speak them into existence again? Right? I'm sure there's a few animals he'd rethink as well. It's like, maybe we don't need that one anymore. But here we are. God is saying, no, I'm not going to do that. That would be easy. That wouldn't require Noah to do anything. And that's how so many of us live as followers of Christ. Don't involve me. Don't ask me to do anything. Just do everything for me and let me walk in the victory. And God's intentionally inviting us into the hard work. And we're frustrated with it. That the reason I think God chose to do this is because God has a purpose for us. He didn't need Noah. He doesn't need you and I. He doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need our compassion. He doesn't need our finances or our money. He doesn't need us to do anything. He chooses, though, to use us, which gives us purpose and intentionality. And when we start to realize that praying for others is our opportunity to be used by God, we start to realize the power in which God has given us, that God cares enough. He can do anything he desires to do apart from us, but he chooses to be a part of us and to use us to do something new 
and beautiful and fresh and he wants us to fight with purpose and meaning and he doesn't need us, but he wants to use us. And when praying, I often wrestle with praying specific needs. God knows everything and God's saying, I know everything, but I want you to be involved. I want you to swing the hammer. I want you to collect the animals. I want you to get the food together. I want you to work and be involved. And since the beginning of time, we find that God involves hard work and mankind. And a lot of us are waiting to find our purpose. We're waiting for that thing that makes us feel important or needed or wanted. And and we live our lives like a kid staring at a carousel trying to pick a horse. And God's going, just jump on one. You know what I mean? Just get on a horse and just start riding. And a lot of us just sit and wait. and, 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 And we just need to go find a need and meet it. There's no shortage of needs. Well, I don't know what to pray for. Pray for the fact that you don't know what to pray for. Pray for the fact that you don't know exactly how to pray. And let's just start working and moving. Find someone who's hungry and feed them. Find someone who's lonely and visit them. Find someone in need and be generous to them. Let's begin to be involved, building and working towards the outcome that God has imagined for us. Action is what unites every great success. Action is what produces results. A lot of times God is waiting for us to move and we think we're waiting on him to move and he's going, no, move in Isaiah 40. He says, and he gives strength to the weary and he strengthens the powerless. Youth may faint and grow weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And this speaks to me, this speaks to you. I don't know if I'm a young man or a youth, but uh, I can either stumble or faint. But regardless, what I know is I'm tired. Tired of building, tired of working, I'm tired of praying. Same things over and over. And we get tired And at the end of our 21 days, there are things that we've prayed for we haven't seen yet. And at the end of five years, there are things we're still praying for and we haven't seen yet. We see a little ground and then we lose a little ground. And we see a little ground and we lose a little ground. And I'm tired. And the scripture is saying, don't grow weary. Because see, I think a lot of us are building in our own strength. We're building towards our own outcome, our own desires, and our own strength, and we're just exhausted. We're swinging the hammer every day, and we feel like we're working so hard, but we're not working with God. In some ways, we're working against God, and we can't figure out why we're so worn out. And God's saying, if you'll just be in my will and walk in my ways, you won't grow weary. You'll walk and you won't faint. You'll actually mount up as wings as eagles, and you're going to soar. And it doesn't mean that all of our problems go away, but it means we'll have the strength to face them. And power without action creates despair. And a lot of us are living in despair when we shouldn't be. Power plus action creates hope, though. And hope is the antidote to despair. And so there is hope for us that action is easy to take when things look positive, when we know there's a guarantee. And if Noah doesn't take action, all he has is despair. He knows the thing is coming. The flood is coming. It's going to wipe everybody out. If we don't act, we are simply left with despair. And a lot of us live that way. There's nothing we can do about it. It's hopeless. World is going to, you know, hell in a handbasket. Everything's going to be a mess. It's all a mess. But we have hope. We do. And unless you were willing to do something, take a step, make a phone call, uh, get on our knees, humble ourselves before the Lord, then we're left with nothing but despair. You and I have to take action. Noah could have believed in the importance of an ark, but never swung a hammer. He could have uh, uh, really understood that that was possible, but never actually started to do anything about it. And he would have gone with everybody else. And a lot of us live like that. We understand God's powerful. But we don't do anything with that power. And Noah got up every day, day after day, and he swung that hammer. 
And he collected the nails and he collected the animals and was made fun of and worked despite all of it. Every day, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Another reason Noah had the animals was because he needed food. Long term, he was going to need food. He brought two of every kind because he needed to have, you know, some steak later on. And so uh, he was collecting all of these things. Those animals didn't just give Noah purpose, but it actually brought him life. Life for him and his family. And, and when we fight on behalf of others, we realize those people will bring life back into our lives as well. It's not meaningless when we pray for others, when we advocate on behalf of others. They'll bring life back into our life as our community grows and our prayer circles grow and our friendships grow and our marriages grow. Those things bring life back into our lives. We don't eat them, but they do provide life for us in another way. I want to make very clear what I'm saying. Uh, we fight for friendships, and, and we find that they're life-giving. And as we uh, grow in our prayer group, we're optimistic that more will join us because we're stronger together. If we're to push the enemy back, if we're to eliminate him from taking more ground, and we're to push the enemy back at every front, it's going to take all of us. In order for us to see growth and success and life transpire, it's going to take all of us moving together. However, action without purpose causes great problems. And this defines a lot of my life is I have action without purpose and I just end up creating more problems. Right? There's warriors and thugs. Warriors fight with purpose. Thugs fight anybody all the time. And some of us are more like thugs. We'll just fight all the time for any reason. But God has called us to be skilled and hone in on our skill. And so by building towards our outcome or God's outcome and we move towards that, we're then able to rest in the outcome. Resting in the outcome is essential. In Genesis 7, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. There's got to be a moment where the floods come and Noah's sitting in the boat going, oh, I really hope I did this right. It's <laughs> how every project I ever do happens. I'm like, I really had to replace a part of my washer and I'm turning the water on going, I hope I did this right. I didn't, I had to redo it. But regardless, I can imagine that he's going, oh man, I hope I did this right. And the floods come and the boat's floating. He's like, all right, take a deep breath. Let's rest in the outcome. See, I think so many of us, we pray towards an outcome and we never really rest in it. Sometimes the outcome is that people have to pass away. God's intention or his best is for uh, someone to die when we wanted them to heal. Sometimes it is that we go through suffering and struggle and, 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 and things, bad things happen. And, and we have to rest in the outcome and the reality that God is still good. And regardless of what we believe should happen, we have to trust that God knows what's best. And, and Noah gave everything he had and he accumulated his entire life. And he was going to have to start all over. But entering into that ark, he had to believe that it was all worth it. That a life spent pursuing God and praying and fighting on behalf of others was going to be worth it. And you may give all that you have to help somebody, but seeing them enter into a relationship with God, seeing their life change, it's all worth it. But we're not going to see that in short time many times. Noah worked what many believe to be 120 years. 120 years swinging a hammer and uh, building his ark and collecting animals and Working every day, that was his, his main priority, every day for 120 years. And it may take 120 years for us to see success in our own lives, the things we're praying for and believing God for. But here's what I do know is that God's never done. So don't give up on God. A lot of us give up, uh, give up on God long before God ever gives up on us. We keep fighting, we keep believing, we keep trusting, we keep building towards his outcome. And we watch, we watch that it may take over time, God always wins. And many times we think we're fighting people when in reality we're fighting something beyond what we see. 
So often the thing is not the thing. We often fight with words and attitudes when we should be fighting with prayer. We're not fighting a, a, a group of horrible people. We're fighting sin. We're fighting a sin nature. We're fighting the enemy who is uh, trying to seep in at any place he can. And in Ephesians 6, it says our battles aren't against flesh and blood. They're in the spiritual realm. So why fight with flesh and blood? Why fight one another when we should be on our knees fighting for the spiritual, for God to work, for God to move, for the enemy to be pushed back? That our problems are very rarely our problems. There's always something deeper. There's always something different going on. So let's get to the root of those problems. Let's not lose sight of the reality that nothing in our life is as it seems. That there's a a spiritual realm. There's more going on than we can see, which makes prayer essential in our lives. And we do things like vote, and we do things like uh, whatever we need to do practically and physically, but more than anything, we pray and we trust and we believe. But the enemy hates us. And the enemy desires to kill, steal, and destroy us and to take as much uh, ground as he can and he's gonna seep his way in any possible way. So we have to be vigilant. We have to bind together, work together, pray together, fight together that a strong tribe prays for one another. We pray for one another. It's not you praying, it's not me praying, but it's us praying together. And I don't want us to lose sight of this, the importance of what it means for us to pray together. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning.